Hello from Cyberry and Delinea, and welcome to the show. If you've been enjoying the Cyberry podcast or 401 Access Denied, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at cyberry.it. From all of us at Cyberry and Delinea, thank you and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of 401 Access Tonight. This is your podcast brought to you by both Cybri and Delinea, and it's a pleasure to be here. I'm your host for today's episode, Joseph Carson, and I'm the Chief Security Scientist and Advisory CISO at Delinea. Um, I'm really excited about today's topic. It's a very important topic and one that probably many of you out there have been really waiting for. Um, and this topic, we're going to be basically joined with two awesome guests. It's our first time on the show. And I would like to pass it over to Stan. Um, so Stan, would you tell us a bit about yourself, what you do, and uh, some of the fun things you get up to in InfoSec? Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. Um, so my, my current role is I'm the CISO at Delinea. Prior to that, I was, uh, I was an executive or CISO or CSO and a CIO. Remind me not to do that one again. Um, <laughs> for Citrix, for a company called Nuance. Um, and then I was a security executive inside the what used to be the EMC family of products, VMware, RSA. And a little bit about my background is I've, I've, I've cut across much of the path of security. So transferring or, or evolving from a standard or what I would call a rudimentary CISO of just IT security, that progressed along to... Um, products and software security, because as I noted, all the companies I work for are technology companies. So I delve deeper and deeper into that area, as well as physical security. So guns, guards, and gates, can't, can't get enough of those. Um, and, and then, you know, that just keeps evolving into, you know, risk-based mindset. So mm -hmm. it, it's, been a, it's been an interesting ride. Um, lots of bad folks out there and uh, lots of sm <laughs> smart folks trying to keep the bad folks out. Absolutely. I think one of one of the things uh, when I was in an event last week, uh, somebody compared us to almost like, you know, the Marvel team of superheroes. We're all out there to try and protect the world against all the evil that's there. So that's right. um, it was quite an interesting conversation. Uh, but Stan, welcome to be here and uh, really excited. And absolutely. It's right. It's all about risk. Risk is the fundamental kind of area that we focus on. I'm also uh, joined with another awesome guest. Uh, so, Tony, welcome to the show. Uh, if you can tell us about yourself and uh, what you do and some of the fun things you get up to. Yeah, thanks a lot, Joe. And hello, Stan. Yeah, Tony Golding here. Um, I've been with the company. Actually, we're a merged company, but uh, I've been doing what I'm doing in, in product marketing now for about six or seven years. Uh, kind of externally, I'm a cybersecurity evangelist, you know, doing a lot of talking and, and consulting about uh, cybersecurity. Um, kind of internally, I'm technical product marketing, so doing a lot of, uh, of white papers and webinars and positioning and, and strategy and all of that kind of stuff. Very exciting. I love that stuff. But uh, you'll probably tell from the accent, um, I'm from another country, um, although this is multinational, so what does that mean? But I'm from Wales, originally born and bred in Wales. But I've been in the industry too many years. Um, I've been in it, uh, probably the security industry, over 20 years and um, kind of started off life as a programmer. So I've been down that path. I spent about 10 years programming, so getting a good feel for, for what people are writing and also the kind of security uh, bugs that can be introduced very easily into, into software. But I would say that over the 20 years, I focused mostly um, uh, on, on vendor solutions. So I've worked for vendors 
Um, I worked for a company that many of you may have heard of, um, kind of CA Technologies, if you remember eTrust, the security oh, solutions sorry, I remember CA. around yeah. eTrust. Exactly. Um, now now part of Broadcom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I was knee deep in that when the eTrust brand was originally developed. I joined them as a, as a senior consultant, peddling that software as a uh, working with the sales teams, trying to get mm -hmm. that thing ingrained into people's minds and heads and, and IT infrastructure. So I've been in the IAM space and the PAM space for around 20 years, still enjoying it. It's still, still a, a great place to be. So. Absolutely. This is a fun industry to be in. Just curious, what programming languages were you were you doing? Oh my word! You you I'm ask. I, I I I've programmed in in. Well, I started off um, down in the guts of machine code. So okay. I started off at the machine code level, but then kind of went a little bit further up the stack. I did Ada, I did Pascal, mm -hmm. I did Fortran, Cobol, C sharp, and then many many years later, about ten years ago, years after I'd finished programming. My daughter said, hey, why don't you write an iPhone app? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so that was my first introduction to actually kind of MVP type of programming. Mm -hmm. And that was fun. I actually, I actually wrote and published an iPhone app. So, yeah, that's pretty impressive. And I think some of those languages, the really important part of this is their foundational languages. Um, a lot of what we exactly. do today is still yeah. built on top of them, which is really important. That's very true. So we're here true. to talk about a very important topic. And that is that uh, not so long ago, the latest Verizon Data Breach Investigation Report has come out, the 2022 edition, which is the 15th year that this report is running, which is quite impressive. And I think they really did this time. They took a bit of a celebratory kind of action where they really wanted to celebrate the past 15 years, uh, which I thought was great. I, I thought it was really kind of interesting. Uh, but when you think about it, I mean, over 15 years, and this is, it's really evolved, especially the last, I think, three to four years, it's really evolved because they really changed the way they've done reporting and analytical into the present presentation of it has really evolved. Um, I struggled with the change uh, between, you know, how they display the graphs uh, to try and really understand the concept. But um, I'm right. starting to know as they mature it much more and they get better at kind of uh, presenting it, uh, I definitely think it's, it's, it's moving in the right direction because it's becoming more actionable. And for all security professionals, this is really almost, you know, it's the pulse of the industry. It's, it's, oh, is it time to have a glass of champagne and say, you know, the past year has been something we've been good at, <laughs> we've been defeating, uh, or is it something that we should, you know, raise concerns and, and think that, you know, there's things and areas that we must do better at. So Stan, I'll pass over to you. Is there a specific area that you thought uh, in the latest report that may have been interesting or any observations in the style or updates in the report itself? Well, I, I, I actually enjoyed, because I've been reading this since the first edition, um, that is a bad indication of, of my age, but um, it's gone from an academic and a, an awareness and concept perspective. It's getting closer to practical. Um, yep. <laughs> and, and I really, I did enjoy the victory, 15-year victory lap. I thought that yeah, was, exactly. I mean, because when you look at that, you know, those of us who have been in the trenches for so long, before it was called cybersecurity, right? Um, it's called security. <laughs> exactly. Or information security or MIS. So um, no, it's really evolved quite a bit. Um, you know, I've had a perception for a good number of years that it, if, if I were to try to pull, if I were someone to ask me who doesn't know anything about the support in the industry, what did I pull out of it? Mm -hmm. I would distill it into the following sentence. Without access incidents do not occur. 
whether that's an administrator improperly mm-hmm. implementing a patch or or an insider making a mistake or doing something malicious or a, or a mm-hmm. malicious actor on the outside. So it, it because often we are we are uh, challenged by distilling the the complexity of our industry um, into sound bites. Mm-hmm. And we've seen in the news that sound bites can get you in trouble. And in and in my industry and and doing and delivering operational security at scale, mm-hmm. oversimplification can get you in trouble. Too much data gets puts people to sleep and in, in in brief. So um yeah, privilege was an interesting piece of it. I was expecting to see a more inherent invisible shift um with moving out of the office, the the, mm-hmm. the results of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I was expecting to see a, a significant increase in in mismanagement or error or what have you. But it's funny how the formerly insider is now the outsider yes. because of the <laughs> pandemic. It, it, and yeah, when you look yeah. at statistics, that's exactly mm-hmm. what it evidences. Because I want to, if you go back and look at, say, firewall logs from pre-pandemic, there's all kinds of things bouncing around inside of your enterprise. And now that's decreased dramatically. And now all the noise is coming from the outside. And hopefully you can So Absolutely. You, you bring up an important part because I, I did take that away as well, is that what we saw was where insider and internal threats always kind of was had a, a, quite a high percentage there. And what we've seen in the last one, and it's probably because everyone has now been treated as an external mm, <laughs> person yeah, because yeah. they're accessing remotely, and whether that being with stolen or, or you know uh, compromised credentials or whatever it might be, is that yes, everyone has now been treated as external, you know, uh, whether it being employees accessing through VPNs, remote desktop. Uh, so you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, the question is, and it it was notable that you know this is always retrospective; it's always looking at the past year, sir. Sure. Um, and, and not the current one. So I absolutely think that's a great observation um, in, in some of these trends. Uh, Tony, just kind of any, any thoughts from you on that on, on this uh, or any observations? Yeah, to you? I, I, the numbers were fascinating for me, but some of the some of the takeaways that I got, um, I, I don't think I think much of it hasn't changed. It's just just variations of the numbers. So certainly the human element was one of the big things that jumped out at me because they were talking about, I think it was like 80, 82% of, of the breaches. Again, it was the human element involved, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and as Stan was saying, but the external actors dominated over, over the internal actors. And, um, but an interesting blip on that was, was um, business partners, vendors, yep. third-party contractors. I think they said something like 40% um, of of uh, attacks involved, you know, from an external uh, an external perspective, involved business partners and vendors. So mm-hmm. so now we're we're starting to say, okay, so that secure remote external um, connection into our infrastructure is very very important to protect, um, not only for our internal employees who whose hygiene is maybe a little less strong in their own sort of home personal networks than it ever was when they were in, in the office, um, they're getting attacked more and more. And so we've, we've got to really, we've really got to defend that. And, and the human element is, is really strong. Um, another blip, another um, statistic that, that jumped out at me, which again, it's, it's, it's something that we've been aware of, but cloud storage misconfigurations, right? They continue to kind of top out um, the error category in, in the report. So mistakes by humans that lead to that 
compromised data in the cloud. That's just the gift that keeps on giving as far as attackers are concerned. And then the big animal, the, you know, the big elephant in the room, ransomware. And, and, and so yeah. we, I'm tired of hearing about supply chain attacks, but it is top of mind, right? And, mm-hmm. and you know, ransomware is, is, is accounting for the vast majority of all malware breaches, you know, like 70%. But at the end of the day, it's software and it's not rocket science, it's software and software needs credentials and elevated rights to do what it needs to do. So that's kind of how we've got to look at that and not be scared of it. It's like, it's software. It needs mm-hmm. elevated privileges. Let's focus on how we can prevent malware and, and ransomware from getting a hold of those. Yeah, just to kind of give you some stats as well. So, you know, uh, in the past year, just kind of, so the Daybreak's investigation team uh, basically analyzed, it was about 20, oh, just under 24,000 security incidents in which it was 5,212 of those were confirmed data breaches. And it's really always important to understand that mm, um, right. in the rising data breach, they do have a, a very clear classification. Um, a security incident doesn't always necessarily mean a data breach. So they always have the very clear. So just under 24,000 uh, incidents, and then 5,212 of those were classified as confirmed data breaches. Now, just to kind of compare over previous years, this almost is similar to what it was uh, in 2021. Um, so in 2021, it was 5,258 data breaches. Um, mm-hmm. So it's almost comparable to to the previous year, uh, where in 2020, it was 3,950. So um, it means that kind of roughly the same number of data breaches uh, in the past year as of the previous. So and it's also really kind of indicating as well, as you mentioned, just kind of give you some of the statistics as well in regards to it was 62% of the actual intrusion incidents, which basically was access incidents, not necessarily meaning a data breach, mm. actually came through a partner or supply chain. Um, so that's the number of incidents that actually came through suppliers. 62% uh, was a significant, that's huge. And then you look at um, 82% of the analyzed breaches um, in the past year had a human element. And that either human element was either they made a misconfiguration, they made an error, right. um, it was uh, misuse of their privileges that they had, it was through either social engineering uh, attacks. So that's a significant, you know, 82% involved the human aspect of it. One thing that I was thought was quite interesting, in previous years, I always used to look at the number of techniques it was used in order to um, gain access. Normally, it was somewhere between four and five. In the past year, it's decreased. So actually, the majority of the uh, breaches only required three steps. So right, the attacker right. only required three steps in order to actually carry out the, the malicious activity. Um, and that either being through a phishing was the step one to then forcing that machine or person to download some type of uh, malware or ransomware and then the actually execution of that. Uh, so that right. really They want to be, be quick, right? They want to be quick and impactful and get in and get out. Because the, be the, longer, the longer the chain, yeah. it's more opportunity for us to, to stop them, right? So. Yeah, and, and historically, um, the actors that have come after large enterprises are, are, are multimodal. So they'll they'll give you the noisy hack, but they're also they're, what their goal is is a secondary low and slow where yeah. where you know you barely even see them. They're even cleaning up after themselves. And you know the the partners um, item, Joe, it related. Mm-hmm. It, it's sixty two percent. But think about the world that we live in now too. Many companies that would do the work or bring a vendor internally to solve an operational security challenge, you're now pushing out to managed service providers, to just 
external vendors to drive that. Um, and staff augmentation is ch- because hiring is so hard right now, uh, at least in the States, that it, it's, it's a really, it's a significant challenge. So we've had to, in, to give, or I don't know why I use the word give, but uh, expect our vendors that we are bringing more and more in that they are trustworthy mm-hmm. and they're, they're, they may be trusted for a period of time, but they, you know, software and vendors and, and, and it's, it's comes down to back to the human element. Software is written by people. By definition, that will mean it will have vulnerabilities. Infrastructure mm-hmm. is operated, maintained, and managed by people. Wetware, let's just call it you know, hardware, yeah. software, wetware. And, and, and because of that, we have to look at it with a little bit more dynamic lens um, and, and do our threat models that some folks have, have ignored doing for a period of time and understanding what our potential attack services may be. Yeah, and you think about you know the last last year started with Hefnet, uh, which was the Microsoft Exchange attack. So that's where we started. Um, then we had uh, numerous uh, ransomware attacks, uh, specifically um, on Colonial Pipeline and uh, mm-hmm. meat production and others. So um, so again into different types of supply chains. Um, so not not just going through supply, but also impacting supply chains of the physical world. Right. Um, and then we ended the year with Log4j. Uh, what do you mean? What what a scenario of kind of you know that meant that we've had some especially from software supply, uh, not just many services, but also you're using software uh, from other uh, vendors, and some of those vendors might be large and might have really good patch uh, kind of you know mechanisms, and some of them like Log4J doesn't have patch mechanisms. You might not right. be able to patch it. You still might not have patched it. So. This really means organizations really are exposed, uh, especially through the different types of supply chains that's out there. Yeah, that supply chain can be very long, right? It's it's multiple opportunities for an attacker to to break in and and cause havoc and and basically start the dominoes falling. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it was prevalent last year, and I think it will continue to be so. Um, some of the some of the data in in the Verizon. Breach report. I mean, they talk about verticals and different mm-hmm. uh, attack methods used in different verticals in different countries. Um, I think the data on the U.S. side is is probably more. I, I think they gave a caution that saying, you know, we a lot of our data is is more clinical. It, we get, get more visibility into what's going on within the U.S. data set than we do in others. But you know, the trends are clear. I mean, the whole ransomware and supply chain mm-hmm. attack methods are are just. They're just the gift that keeps on giving. And of course, I think yeah. you and I spoke, Joe, about ransomware as a service, for example, and making it easier and easier to, to set up affiliate models where it's like, hey, you know, I'll, I'll give you some money. I'll be an affiliate. Give me the software. Give me the tools. Bang, it's out there. It's, Absolutely. it's just too it's, easy. And, it's too easy. And in the report, they really highlighted, I think one of the key things is that we've really shift, shifted away from these opportunistic types of attacks to more organized crime type of, you know, criminal activity. organized crime. Is and so I think true. this is yeah. where we really see is organized crime is now becoming the reality is that they are investing um, in order to actually carry out uh, financial motive types of attacks. They're investing in this area. And it really right, gets into right. specializing where you've got those who specialize in actually gaining access. You've got those who specialize right. in creating the cryptors, those who even specialize in then using those combinations either through basically ransomware or you know crime as a service. 
and then deploying the ransomware. And then you have specialized into basically because those who might be carrying out the crime may not be native language speakers who are the victims located. And they'll hire basically specialized help desks who will basically communicate, show how to get cryptocurrency and how to actually recover data. So this is almost getting into yeah. very much a real kind of, you know, it's a business model for the organized crime. And it is. you've it is. got 25% increase in ransomware year over year. And uh, four and five of the breaches were attributed to organized crime, which is phenomenal, I think, in the, in the, what the data is kind of shocking. I, I, kind of, get into the I kind of have this mental picture in my head of a, of a bunch of, of hackers getting together with a portfolio and a business plan and presenting this to some investor and saying, you know, Help us, uh, help us with the funds necessary to bring on a development team and, and to bring on uh, a team of individuals that will do target acquisition and, and, and you know, work on, on various channels to do um, you know, our content distribution and our emailing and, and figure out how we're going to monetize the data that we eventually compromise. It, it really is a business for sure. Well, it, it's, it's interesting when you think about it because... Um, whether it's organized crime or a nation state. See, during the course of a day, um, my team and I all have to make sure that our certifications are maintained, mm -hmm. that we have people getting trained, that we're reporting to the audit committee correctly. Well, that slows down our ability to identify, contain, control, and communicate an incident. Mm -hmm. And what's fascinating about this is the bad guys, whether they're organized crime or, again, nation state, they don't have a board to answer to. If they kill someone in the process of shutting down a hospital services, they don't care. Mm -hmm. There's not a single regulator that says, oh, you can't do that. So the, the level, the barrier for them to accelerate is significantly less than my ability to keep up with them. I have to function within a series of rules and requirements. And now there are at least 350 standards, regs, and laws related to security and privacy around the world. And let's just be clear, they haven't actually solved a single cybersecurity issue, in my opinion. Many companies that are hacked and breached are also compliant, interestingly enough. And now... Yes. Majority. A new, <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I was trying to be nice. and 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 now... Um, I, I'm getting notifications from the FTC that says, if you don't patch Log4j, we are going to apply financial uh, ramifications to your company. Never seen that one before. I'm not sure if it's happened <laughs> elsewhere. And, and when you look at the report, I want to know where do I, you know, if, if I'm that person mm -hmm. starting out in on their security career, where do I start? Right. It's, you know, do you go out to the biggest thing or, you know, this, the report used to be used as a mechanism to get budget in security mm -hmm. for security team. Now it's almost impossible to distill it down to a consumable format that says there are three problems. We're going after this right. one, this one, and this one, the rest, right. Right. we'll worry about them yeah. later. Right. Yeah. It's hard. We had an interesting, uh, I was moderating a panel not long ago um, that was basically, you know, on the the hiring side of things, getting people you know into the industry, and uh, it, for many organizations, for for those who are in the entrance into you know looking for entry, uh, you know basically starting point in cybersecurity or infosecurity or whatever it might be, that was actually 
the job requirements uh, and descriptions for many industry organizations was actually so much higher than that of cybercrime. <laughs> cybercrime, they didn't need certifications. They, you know, <laughs> they just wanted to show, show me, you know, some of your previous work. <laughs> and that was enough <laughs> to get them in. Um, so some yeah. of the entry levels, it was interesting. It was, we had a, a person that was in, who, who, who was expertise, expert, you know, expert was that area of looking at the comparison between entry level into and how to try and get more people who were, you know, going down that cybercrime path to get them kind of re kind of trained and moved over before they carried out, you know, uh, malicious activities. And I think this is something we have to look at here as an industry. And I think something we, you know, I would like to. Even maybe the you know when the Bryson Data Breach Investigation Team you know with some of the guys do will listen to the podcast and hopefully uh, they'll take away and say how do we you know what types of kind of job descriptions or requirements mm. or skills do we need to help address these issues that the reports are raising you know tie it to to the skills gap as well uh, because one one thing I really liked is what they've done is they've really tied it to the MITRE TAC framework. They brought in a risk element in the last couple of years, and that's all fantastic because it really makes it actionable. But as organizations, we need to know what's the skill gap and be able to address these Then basically uh, to really look at what's the skills we need to bring on board. Where do we need to train people? Where do we need to educate people? What skills, what things we need to outsource to really help us address many of these issues? Right, right. I think the closest they got to that, to answering that question, um, I was kind of just browsing briefly looking for this statement but i think in essence they said there's there's four main paths that lead to our data mm -hmm. that's lost stolen compromised credentials number one phishing which can often mm -hmm. result in compromised credentials as we all know exploiting vulnerabilities and botnets so yeah. that that's kind of we need a solid plan to address them all that's as close as it got to being prescriptive into what kind of skill sets you need in order to address some of these issues but yeah i i agree with that i think that, that giving giving more guidance in that respect mm -hmm. would, would be fantastic. Well, and the, the, the interesting thing when you read a report like this, it, 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 it fills your head with all kinds of interesting information. But one of the items that I feel as if we've kind of lost track of is all of the security technology that companies spend huge dollars on and more and more every year. Why are we putting that in place? The answer is it breaks down to applications that we've developed, operating systems that we've developed, communication protocols that have are, are now older than my children. You know, <laughs> they they were designed to deliver a, 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 a information experience, not aware that the world would be weaponizing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that and and so why do you need antivirus and malware and all these other and browser protection? Well, they're they're designed to let you do anything and it's up to us as security people to help our you know our customers and 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 our compatriots you know solve those issues and we got to remember how we got here and as a some of the new kids coming in don't even know how to access or go to a command line to get to a, a directory on a hard drive <laughs> yeah. i know that's an old guy talking but really <laughs> So no, I was in I was in my terminal this morning on my Mac trying to solve yeah. a problem at the command line level. You know why won't yeah, Sudo let me yeah. in? <laughs> to your point, to your point, Stan. Just to give you some also perspective as well is in the, in the ransomware data itself. Uh, almost it was a forty percent of the ransomware incidents actually involved using of basically you know desktop sharing software yeah. that the actually vendor was using themselves or the the victim was using. So the own remote desktop sharing software was used in most of the ransomware. Almost half. Um, yep. And then to get into also email, 35%, 40% uh, 
um, mm. often we're actually using email for distribution. Um, it's you know it's still going back to to things that um, you know if you're able to to even just address those areas, you can significantly reduce the risk quite significantly down. Um, yeah. I think it was RDP. Um, one of the stats was around RDP that majority of them through was brute force attacks. So yeah. and that means that what what does brute force attacks means that we as humans are creating weak passwords. We're, we're leaving it to humans to make the choice in what is a strong password. And I think that's another area that we really have to start addressing. And, and, you know, I, I really liked, I think the, the SMB summary really kind of hit it really kind of clear. And in the SMB summary in the report, it gets into you know, providing these 13 steps of what you can do. And I think it doesn't just address, I think when we look at them, it's for all organizations. Um, I think these are the things that SMBs can achieve but they're probably the basic standards that all organizations should get right because it only takes one mistake in order to leave yourself at risk. And just to kind of give you, the, you know, the top four of that 13 was using two-factor authentication. It's just making sure the password is not the only security control. Make it difficult for the attackers to be successful. Force them to taking more risks. So number two was do not reuse or share passwords, which the next I get scared because the next generation, that's the culture they've actually been brought into. Mm-hmm. is sharing and reusing passwords. And then you get into, they do recommend to use a password uh, manager or a password generator that will help create unique passwords. And then the fourth one was, you know, be sure to change default credentials, um, areas like point of sales and other hardware. That was the top four uh, of those 13 steps for SMBs. You know, Joe, it's funny. When you talk about passwords, I used the term root cause a minute ago. What company that isn't born in the cloud doesn't have on-premise Active Directory, which mm-hmm. does not have the ability to do three of the items you just called out on passwords yep. alone, right? So when you when you download the entire um, hashed directory stru- mm-hmm. uh, password structure of your company, you can find ABC company. You know, if the company's name is ABC, ABC one two three, hundreds of times. <laughs> So when those breaches occur at major hotel chains that are tied to a corporate account, it, it's literally like marketing your target for the bad guys. And it, it gives you wonderful right. dynamic telemetry to be a bad guy targeting a company. And then you look them up on LinkedIn to figure out what the, oh, they're an administrator of such and such. Right, right, right. It is, it's, and it, it's not hard to do. And, and the, the, our adversaries are, are using intelligent systems they are learning by every attack and every outcome of every attack yeah i think i think if i'm not wrong joe the term is password spraying right where i may go somebody may go to the dark web you get tony's identity and a password and the assumption is tony's fallible he's probably using the same id and password in other places as well so you spray it at these other systems hoping that one of them just sticks and lets you in. I mean, it's a common technique, right? Yeah, they normally start with stuffing, then they move to spraying, and then they move to highly targeted once they have their... uh, their, Because that that noisy attack of stuffing Mm. to sprinkling and so on, and then it becomes more and more fine tuned as they go. I like those gardening metaphors, spraying and sprinkling and, you know. (laughs) It does get into, you know, the attackers do use a little bit more, there's more automation in in, in this area. So one of the things, um, when we talk, you know, one of the previous uh, episodes, I had Evil Mog, who is uh, Xbox Red Team's password cracking bureau. He's he's awesome and amazing. So we have the audience, if you want to know about password cracking, that, you know, go back and listen to that podcast episode. 
Um, and we do go into, you know, um, also talking about the pastoralist experience. Experience is important to emphasize the word there. But we get into one of the things that they do is, you know, Tony, to your, to your point, is they do go and find previously compromised passwords that you have chosen. And there's tons of passwordless. I mean, almost, you know, everyone has been part of a data breach in this planet. You know, you can't avoid it because there's been so many large data breaches. So somewhere out there is some of your previous password choices. And what they end up doing is they'll take that and they'll create the base word list. And then they'll understand about what your organization's protection is in place. So what's your requirements? Is it uppercase, lowercase, the password complexity? Hmm. So once they know your choice of previous passwords, your password policy in regards to the complexity that your password requirements are, and they combine those together, and then they'll put it through basically uh, is a you know, word list cruncher. And what that will now do is expand that word list to include all the possibilities that you hmm. might have kinda, you know, taken that previous choices and get into the predictable pieces of which your future passwords might be. And then what they'll do is once they create that, that word list, now they'll use that as the basis to do basically password spraying. Now, if they applied that to the stock market, then maybe they could predict the outcome of, you know, rises in stock prices. That'd I think awesome. they do. <laughs> they, oh, they probably do. They probably do. I don't know if, if I have a lot of folks that are all playing Wordle now. Oh my word! Which, which is exactly what you just described, Joe. What's the yep. most common word? You know, start there. Then you know, yeah. and and so it's dictionary. It's still words. It's still dictionaries, yep. and that's why that methodology and, and the the need to use something more aggressive is so relevant. Um, mm. But now, many companies to enable a more uh, a better user experience and reduce their help desk calls for password resets have allowed and enabled um, MFA uh, or multi-factor um, self-reset. Well, it's reset via the email that we were just talking about a moment ago. Mm -hmm. So then you actually give the bad guy an escalated credential and they have this, the, uh, this, the, the, the multi-factor token. And so they're in. So mm-hmm. that's 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 exactly the access concept that I was talking about earlier. We're essentially they know our business often better. To your point, Joe, about how people build passwords, most common words, all of that. This, when we look at this, we have to decompose that and say we need proper authorization in when enabling our users to have access. We need to enforce things, and so it doesn't need to be hard. Yeah. Yeah, emails, just, emails email. should never be the primary purpose of resetting passwords. Because the Iranian, right. Iranian um, funded teams are aggressively going after MFA um, with large enterprises with mm-hmm. self serve models. Yeah. Because I mean, email, that's literally, if you go to any cloud service application out there, you know, that's basically, it might send you a time based, you know, yeah. uh, magic token in order to basically reset the password. Um, and if an attacker gains access to your email account, right. they will basically go through. And again, through that intelligence, they will basically do a quick search through your email history and determine all the different services that you've ever signed up for. And then basically go through and automate the password resets of all of those services. Mm-hmm. And they'll be able to use their email in order to, to either laterally move uh, into right. your networks or you know, laterally move uh, vertical up in, into your cloud environments and really, you know, cause a lot of havoc. 
Uh, so absolutely, right. I mean, really thoughtful the, the password reset mechanism and how to verify that, that the person is really that you know who 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 right. they're claiming to be. I mean, the Verizon report says quite clearly: web and email, mostly, along with workstations and laptops, are the top yeah. assets impacted by breach for a reason. For a reason. And the other thing I, here, I, what, I honestly was surprised to see file sharing so high, because mm-hmm. at a if 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 we tie this if we tie the report to a corporate environment from SMB up to the largest enterprise, mm-hmm. in my mind, file sharing should just not, should not, it's like having FTP. There's certain <laughs> things you just don't do. So I didn't, I didn't understand why it was so prevalent. Yeah, the challenge, the challenge with file sharing is that a lot of, so um, a lot of techniques still using today is using, you know, techniques like Responder that takes advantage of NetBIOS and LMNR poisoning. And what that really means is that a lot of employees, what they end up doing is when they're on a network, they'll automatically map network drives. So that machine will automatically remember that next time I'm on the network, it will connect to it and have access to the files. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that's a very common technique that many employees use in order to, to share data between employees. And what happens is if you're basically on, on the same network as somebody who's running Responder, your machine will start to basically share your network NTLM hash with that, yeah, with that, that, uh, that human error configuration. Attacker. And yeah. what ends up happening is if you if that uh, is a human created password and a human you know chosen password, it literally becomes again only a matter of time before the attacker is able to go and brute force that. Uh, so these are kind of the common steps, and that's why file sharing you know mm-hmm. is so. A major challenge and concern there, especially uh, you know, for employees who do travel or work remotely or commonly yeah. go to public uh, Wi-Fi access points. I, I mean, for a user, it can be hugely convenient. I mean, this morning I was reading the news before I jumped on this, and you know, a major OS vendor whose name shall not be revealed is is saying, you know, it's 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 announced a new drop tool to let users share files across. They're logged in devices and, and platforms, so that that'll be fun, right? Yeah. Let's let's see how how well that works. And, you know, looking at industries as well, I always kind of zone in in the industries, and I think there's no surprise again. I think we're seeing the same industries uh, mm-hmm. pop up. Um, with definitely, you know, with the public administration was again high up there in the number of uh, incidents and breaches. We saw professional uh, industries as well um, up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they were top of the list. Uh, with a number of incidents uh, and uh, breaches. And we had manufacturing, uh, information organizations, and again, finance. Um, Well, credentials and personal data were the main types of data. And, you know, there's a lot of that in healthcare systems. Healthcare and education were much lower than I was expecting this time around. Um, I thought they would be industries that would, you know, continue to be targeted. Uh, mm. But this year, they were not as you know really high up in the list um, over previous years. Education, um, it definitely you know was was much lower in, in healthcare. Maybe people were a bit more you know let's say ethical, decided you know not to target the healthcare industry because it was overwhelmed in the past couple of years. Mm. Maybe that's uh, an aspect of it. But uh, they were they were areas that I did note um, that had you know didn't have as much incidents as I would have expected. You know, I, I think both of those industries, and honestly, all industries, are consuming far more cloud services. Mm-hmm. So I think some of that number moving a bit might be how they're getting their technology mm-hmm. to, or their services delivered to them. Because mm-hmm. I don't know a single CIO or CISO who wants to buy a piece of hardware or 
they everybody just wants to buy a reoccurring license in the cloud. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, the, a, yeah there's a key one of the, my uh, observations in the last year's report. Um, it was the first time. So in, in 2021, when the Verizon data breach, it was the first time where actually cloud instance had overtaken on premise, which was a massive change. That was a massive you know, change in, in, in the targeting mechanism. So um, and that was something that was very interesting that I find is that cloud is now becoming, you know, somewhat the, the top target in regards to your infrastructure. Um, right. And much of that, it, a lot of it also was driven by digital and data transformations by organizations who were shifting to the cloud because of cost perspectives and mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. to enable remote working. Um, so we did see, of course, organizations, unfortunately, not take uh, advantage of cloud native security. And what they try right. to do is retrofit their on-premise security and plug it into the cloud. Yeah, that, that's that retrofitting is mis- misconfiguration uh, because cloud the, the cloud instance a large portion were caused by misconfigurations where security was was not it was enabled but it had the default settings meaning that for a lot of those right. EC3 buckets for example were publicly right. available. Uh, I, I I spoke to a lot of prospects and customers and, and, you know, lots of themes, obviously DevOps was a big one. It's like, well, you know, how do we, how do we secure, um, you know, our source code, make sure we're not embedding credentials in there, but along the data transformation, cloud transformation theme, um, I heard from a lot of, of companies where they do a typical thing. They'll stand up a new project in the cloud and uh, they'll prototype something. And, and during that time that the developers and the ops teams are logging into those instances using local accounts, which is not a good idea. It's increasing your attack surface, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But when it comes to production and switching those things over into production, they're like, okay, that's not a good idea. Let's get rid of the local accounts. But how do we authenticate our, our administrators to those using their AD credentials that are on-premises? So that mm-hmm. whole new cloud, hybrid cloud dynamic has them scratching their heads because their legacy protections, their legacy security and pan solutions don't stretch to the cloud and enable that to happen. And there are ways of doing it, of course, but they're costly and they introduce, you know, opening up firewall mm-hmm. ports and standing up AD in the cloud and, and you know, yeah, sort of if, 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 different trust models. Mm-hmm. When, when, you look, when you look at it, if you're a malicious actor and you're going after as many targets as possible and you went after individual enterprises, that level of effort is much higher than harvesting a 24-hour-a-day public-facing cloud resource, which was designed and built often by companies that are transitioning to the cloud with the same skills and team members that they've had for X number of years. And and I think that many folks, actually one of the best uh, cloud architects I know is 72 years old. (laughs) <laughs> but he always kept up to date. And it's hard when you're heads down solving day-to-day IT operations and security yep. events, et cetera, et cetera, to keep your skills where you need and to keep up with the cloud services. Mm. Joe, you're spot mm. on. Many of the tools to mitigate these risks are built in. you got to turn them on. you, you got to know right. they exist, which is, yeah. <laughs> which is the challenge. Yeah. And this is one of the things when I talked about uh, as well, when I, the, the uh, previous panel that I was hosting uh, at a conference, we were talking about that the amount of time uh, that organizations spend on enabling training for their employees is way under what it should be. Uh, because if you want the employee to be able to take advantage of these new, let's say, solutions and architectures and deployment models, uh, models and delivery models, they need to be trained well to understand how to enable the security correctly. Um, so in, in, in our industry, 
two years can put somebody already, you know, their skill sets way behind. Um, if you don't train them and you don't make sure that their training is allocated sufficiently to make sure you're able to take advantage of the latest security solutions and architectures and, and uh, uh, capabilities, then you're not you're going to be getting into where that person may only know the stuff that was four years ago and may not enable the right features and therefore at the same time you know end up having a misconfiguration that results in data breach. Well, and and, and as a consumer of security technology. What I would say to that is you're absolutely right. It's often the line item that's most regularly cut because yep. it's expensive to train people. My view on that is I push that to our vendors. Mm-hmm. Hey, guys, we really like your product. We, we consider you to be part of our long-term strategy. Help me utilize your technology in ways that mm-hmm. we haven't even thought of and building that into the relationship and the engagement of a partner, mm-hmm. a true partner yes, as a vendor. Spot on because that's exactly it's it's we're you know if you can get that we're willing to give up people's time if you make the education of your product free and okay. make it available make it something that that person can really become the best and that you know at that area and I think that's sometimes kind of a gap some people look at it as a line item but it's actually it's it's a it's a partnership it, it's mm-hmm. if you get the people that's actually going to be knowledgeable about the product they're going to be wanting to use it. Um, and that's also kind of an enabler as well. One of the things that kind of I want to mention as well that uh, Tony also brought up as well, and Stan, you also mentioned on, it does mean, you know, the, these are organized crime, as we mentioned, and they're investing. It takes, it, it, they're taking time and investment. They're investing in this because it mm. takes money to make money, which is one of the major statements of the value chains here. We're actually, organized crime are actually investing in development of their attack uh, tools. They're looking at very specifically who to target and take advantage of. To your point about, you know, it's better to target uh, somebody who will give you access to many versus, you know, doing them individually. Um, so there's those uh, organized criminals who even just specialize in targeting um, and access brokers. Then it's also the distribution where you've got into that, you know, affiliate program where those who are creating the cryptos may not want to put themselves, maybe they're afraid that they're, you know, in countries where it's considered a crime and they will actually sell it off to, those who actually use it and abuse it in countries where it may not be considered a crime, where it's more of a business model. Um, and then they have into the ability of how they can make sure they convert that into cash, which of course is cashing out and using things like multiple cryptocurrencies, um, buying things through loyalty cards, distribution models, trying to really convert that. Loyalty from, cards. Yeah, loyalty yeah, cards is still fun, a big it? one. Is how they yeah. cash out and pay, pay through because that becomes almost untraceable. Uh, once you get it out, once once you don't know who's got that, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the voucher number. Um, and it can be significant uh, as well. Uh, so this is really where, you know, there is a supply chain. There is a good mechanism. And that's why we're seeing organized crime and ransomware really uh, take off in this report. And I think it's significant. Yeah, so, I heard they're also, uh, in terms of monetization, they're starting to use stablecoin instead of cryptocoin because stablecoin being tied to fiat currencies is not as volatile. So they get their money's worth. Absolutely. I did love a lot of strategy. I loved, um, I'm going to kind of want to bring it to, to a summary here and get your, your, your kind of your main summaries from, but I'd like to, I mean, I'd like to, you know, for, we do have a lot of awesome people listening to the podcast. And I do want to kind of raise, you know, uh, awareness and, and, and thank you to the Ryzen Data Breach Investigations team who, who really put this together. Um, this was 86, you know, partners who worked together uh, to really analyze hundreds of thousands of incidents uh, to really narrow it down to really the ones that really make a, a good understanding. Uh, so there's Gabriel Bassett, uh, David uh, Highlander, 
Philip uh, Lagos, uh, Alex Pinto, uh, and Suzanne Widow. And also, um, I did, uh, you know, a special thanks also noted in there to Dave Kennedy, uh, who we've had on this uh, uh, the podcast before. So definitely, if you're interested in, in you know, learning, go back and listen to the episode where we had Dave Kennedy from uh, uh, Trusted Security uh, on the podcast, which we covered a lot about pen testing. And I really did like a lot of the Easter eggs in there, you know, about the DeLorean and uh, like John McClain comment as well, which is always funny. So I do really like a lot of the, the you know, the, the funny commentary that they put to the report. Because again, um, what that really does is it makes it, it, makes it fun. Um, if it was a very serious report, uh, you know, which it is, but I really like their ability to to also put the interesting, fun comments and to to really you know bring it back to to enjoyable. So, Sam, I'd like to get you know any any main key things that you you know uh, for anyone listening that you would uh, you know, recommend that they you know, take away from the report. No, I I think the one thing, regardless of the size of the institution or company, is be diligent on your access, patch, patch, and patch again. Um, and don't assume that technologies that have been in place for years that you have considered to be the the MFA, whatever it may be, technology is designed and built by humans over time, high performance computing, things like Moore's law have been broken by technology. We need to recognize the fact that it's built and designed by humans. So don't assume you are safe without having a clear understanding of what the associated threats might be. Absolutely. And Tony? You know, and, and, and just uh, the humor in this report is... Maybe, maybe pretty, yeah, the humor is great. I like that. I like that tongue in There's a lot of humor in there for, for a fairly yeah. dry topic. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it takes the edge off. It takes the edge yeah. off. It's very good. I like it. So, um, I'm always yeah, for me, I mean, we've... <laughs> Go ahead, Tony. We've... Uh, yeah, we've been around the block on this a few times, but again, it's 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 people. People are still fallible, right? And so that's what causes data breaches. So invest, invest in education, invest in awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, that plus, again, it's blocking and tackling the basic hygiene, um, security hygiene, like password rotations and patching and, and mm-hmm. stuff of that nature is just so very, very important. Um, but again, the, th- the thing that... that piqued my interest is is secure mode access for vendors and third parties um you know that's that's a massive ingress point i think that's underserved by a lot of uh, organizations especially with work from home and moving to the cloud and everybody's remote it's that it's that remote access vector that's that's i think is is just uh underserved personally so that that needs attention Absolutely agree. I think for me, you know, really kind of go go take a look at those top thirteen kind of uh, recommendations in the SMB section, because ultimately they apply to everybody. And if you get those done mm-hmm. really well, at least those basics, you do make it uh, yourself, you know, a, a much more difficult target. Um, and it means, you know, for for attackers, they tend to move on to the the more easier targets. So sometimes just being a little bit, you know, step ahead, a little bit uh, diligent in your security controls will definitely make the biggest difference. And again, for the you know for those listening in, definitely go and take a look at the report. There is uh, a good, you know, Verizon will always do a webinar on it as well. So watch out for the webinar mm-hmm. because they always talk about the the uh, the data analytical side of things and the presentations and the forms and how they present the, the report. So definitely look at that. It will help you. Make sure you read the section about how to actually understand the data as well because it's definitely important to make sure you, as you're reading through, 
understanding what you're saying as all, well, because the representation is also important here in the report. So again, many thanks, Dan. Tony, it's been awesome having an episode. Uh, for the audience out there, again, tune in every two weeks for the 401 Access Denied. And make sure that you go back and listen to some of the other awesome podcasts as well. Uh, stay safe, take care, and I will see you. I've got some exciting news uh, for you coming week. So uh, tune in and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, everyone. Take care. Thanks and a lot. Goodbye. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Learn how your team can get a free trial of Cybrary for Business by going to www.cybrary.it business. This podcast is also brought to you by Delinea. Dicotic and Centrify are now Delinea, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit delinea.com.